Welcome to Truths of the American Small Town, a show highlighting what life is really like in cities we only drive through or fly over. I'm Alex Miller, and in this series, we're shining a light on the fact that every place has a story to tell. In this episode, we're highlighting Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, a city stuck between Albuquerque and El Paso. It features an April Fool's joke gone too far, a 20th century serial killer, the world's first spaceport, and an intimate relationship with horror writer Stephen King. In truth or consequences. Truth or consequences. We're in a city called Truth or Consequences. They named the city here Truth or Consequences. What kind of name is that? That's not a name to a city. Hello there. We've been waiting for you. It's time to play Truth or Consequences. Let's start in the 1920s in the little town of Hot Springs, New Mexico. This place was a mecca for healing. With a dammed reservoir and an excess of natural springs, hot springs became somewhat of a haven for people who wanted to treat things like tuberculosis or polio. The town's original Cary Tingley home for crippled children was even intentionally put up on top of a hill so that the water pipes could have direct access to the spring water. Of course, though, over time, a place of this stature attracts a fair amount of unwanted attention. This is Destiny Mitchell a long-term resident of Truth or Consequences, or TRC as she calls it. Mitchell earned her master's degree studying the human geography and the nominal geography of the area. But yeah, back in that time, that was, you know, downtown Truth or Consequences, you walk the strip. I mean, again, most of these buildings are almost 100 years old, and almost, I'd say, every, on every block at least, or every other block, there is a two-story building, and the top story is nothing but a hallway full of room. <laughs> We were like the brothel capital of the world at that point in time. Um, it was it was hilarious. There was there was and then and then the other half of the buildings all have basements because they were all casinos and poker rooms. And on every other building was a bar. <laughs> and and downtown through the consequences was this raging party scene in the old west with brothels and saloons and poker clubs and gambling and prostitution. I mean, it was just the town's divergence from its roots meant that it lost some of its original appeal. That was until 1949. Well, I always remember from my earliest memories that um, after we changed our name to Truth or Consequences, um, of course, that was that was inspired through. Uh, a game show, Truth or Consequences, yeah. which you've probably heard of. And so we were, uh, apparently Ralph Edwards came around asking um, if, you know, there was any city that would like to change its name in honor of their 10th anniversary. And of course, Truth or Consequences decided to be that, that city. That was the mayor of Truth or Consequences, Sandy Whitehead, a woman who spent her entire life in the city though she remembers it most fondly with its gimmicky name. As a 10th anniversary celebration of the NBC radio game show, Truth or Consequences, the host, Ralph Edwards, offered to have a live taping in whichever city changed their name to the show's title. Given the circumstances of Hot Springs in Mexico, they took the offer. And on March 31st, 1950, a day before April Fool's Day, and after a vote from the town's citizens, the name was changed. Unfortunately for those opposed, it was never changed back. 
Roughly 70 years since, and Truth or Consequences has chosen to embrace the AI identity rather than expunge it. So we became Truth or Consequences, and it caused a lot of strife in the community. Um, half the people in, or not half, I say a quarter of the people in town refused to live in Truth or Consequences. So they moved outside the city limits and they built the town of Williamsburg. So, you know, TRC changed the name in 1950, and mm-hmm. they had a quarter of the residents got pissed. They built, they formed Williamsburg. But the two people, um, the, the mayor uh, and the, his wife, the ones that founded Williamsburg, well, he was from Williamsburg, uh, Delaware? They so used from there, that's why they called it Williamsburg. Um, he was a heavy drinker, and uh, she was a heavy, heavy religious nut, okay? And uh, so, as part of the clause of creating the doctrine of, of incorporating the city, um, she put in a little line that said that there could be no bars or alcohol establishments within the village limits of Williamsburg. Okay. And so he said, okay, fine. He wrote that in. And then he also put in there, there will be no churches or houses of worship allowed in Williamsburg. <laughs> and to this day, you cannot get a, something to drink and you cannot go to a church in a Since the late 20th century, you can finally start worshipping and buying alcohol in Williamsburg. But this highlights that truth or consequences sits between two smaller communities, the aforementioned Williamsburg and Elephant Butte. And outside that, the geography of the place makes it tedious to get to. To the east is the Rio Grande and several mountain ranges. To the south is desert, until you hit Las Cruces, 75 miles down the road. The same goes to the north and to the west except it'll take you a 150-mile and a 300-mile trip, respectively, to get to a major city in either of those directions. Turtleback Mountain Range leads people into this isolated town, and according to Mitchell, the isolation and the nearly 6,000-person population don't take anything away from the city's modern life. And now it's primarily like young couples who are have some kind of a talent. They sing, they do art, they do radio, they do drama. I mean, they have some type of talent that they want to promote. And they're from these larger communities like Portland or Austin or, you know, these larger artist kind of communities. And somehow or another, they have a friend of a friend or they see it online or they come for the hot springs and they, they go downtown and they meet the shop owners and they meet the community and they just fall in love. The average age of the town is in the 60s, but the influx of younger and more artistic people has changed the vibe of TRC. The downtown area added a brewery in 2015 and several other places to hang out. Drink beer, shoot pool, all the typical things you'd find in any urban area across the country. Of course, this city adds a quirk to every turn. A bar where the bar itself is covered in pennies, lawn art made of scrap metal sitting in front lawns, and frequent costume and burlesque shows. TRC has everything to offer of a major city, but it just happens to look like it's set in a Clint Eastwood movie. These things, it seems, are attractors more than they are deterrents. But yeah, it's like the cowboys and the hippies and the artists and the gays, they're all together here just rubbing elbows. And everybody seems to get along fine. I have never seen anything like a fist fight or anything. <laughs> this is Val and Sidney Wilkes, also residents of TRC for just under a decade. Originally from Georgia, they've also lived in New York and Portland before choosing to settle here in New Mexico. And it has um, hot mineral water springs. Yeah. And that really made a difference. We came for a, what was a two week vacation and, and um, 
hung out here and, and the mineral water and the dry air cured me basically and so we decided to relocate. Val learned that she was allergic to mold, so the arid life here originally appealed to her to help her manage that. But ultimately, they chose to stay because of the artistic nature of TRC's newcomers. There are um, folks who have uh, done galleries. That happens a lot. Like art galleries? Uh, yeah, art okay. galleries. There's an art gallery that is um, in the middle of the residential neighborhood over here, and it was done by somebody who has um, basically lived in California, San, uh, San Francisco, okay. and um, for many years and lived here as well, had uh, a second house here, and the way that he has um, set up his gallery space is very San Francisco. Mm -hmm. TRC is truly adopting a more progressive outlook, but in deeper and more long-term ways than are often heard about. Spaceport America. Spaceport America. Spaceport America. Spaceport America is a fascinating venture for any part of American and global culture. And the fact that it exists right here in rural New Mexico just adds a layer to the charm behind it. Spaceport America is, as the name describes, a port for commercial spacecraft. It's the exact same concept as an airport, except destinations like LaGuardia, LAX, and Midway, they're replaced with the ISS. Space travel, as we all know, is the type of project that includes a great deal of resistance and patience. The idea for the spaceport came about in the 1990s, construction for the first temporary launch site didn't come about until 2006, and the opening ceremony for the initial facilities here didn't take place until 2009. Today, the facility has an FAA license, but they didn't even obtain a launch license until 2008, two years after they had already started construction. And public funding, which needed to be approved by the citizens of Sierra County, didn't pass until 2008 too. In total, the residents approved a $40 million public funding project, and the rest was spearheaded by Richard Branson and his company Virgin Galactic. It was a PR day. Yeah, it was a PR day. So they took us out to the spaceport. We got to explore the whole entire building, the Virgin Galactic building. And they gave us a, a luncheon and a lecture and a slideshow and explained stuff and talked to us about hospitality and, you know, that if they're bringing in a lot of people, then, you know, you want to be ready for them. So we did that and we got very excited about all of that. You know, it's very difficult, I understand, uh, you know, with new technology and getting everything right, got lives at risk with new technology. So there's been some setbacks, but it's been, you know, just about, what is it, seven years now? They were like, hurry up and get yourself ready because there's millions of people coming. But I'm like, I think it's just a little bit of, you know, icing on the cake because what we've got here is such a treasure with the mineral springs and the, and the river and the lakes and all of that, that we already have 1.2 million people coming. Yeah. And then Virgin Galactic brings in another 200,000 people a year. The Wilkes' reminiscence about their first time at Spaceport America highlights how the residents of TRC are split about the facility. On the one hand, the additional tourism and stature the facility brings will ultimately be good for the city. But on the other, is it needed? And what's the cost of having it around? I mean, they, they, they have already signed 
and field and delivered, whatever. We're just waiting for the returns promise to come back from Spaceport. And to, the, to my knowledge, that hasn't happened. Mm -hmm. So um, do I see it taking off? I, I don't. I mean, for example, there's, there's maybe maybe 20 people in this town that could afford $50,000 for a space flight. And even our, even our accommodations, you know, they, they predicted, you know, a thousand employees or whatever, you know, and, and we don't have accommodations for that in this town. You know, um, my aunt Jenna actually has property out at Cutter, which is about, Oh God, a mile or two away from spaceport. She had, she used to raise animals out there, but so they were trying to buy up property, but that was another side effect because, again, my, my aunt lived out there for many years, um, and Spaceport started sucking all the water out. And all the people's wells out there, they had to keep either drilling a little deeper or they could only run water for, like, 30 minutes a day because there was no water. Um, so that was really bad for the residents out there. But, again, there wasn't very many of them. So. And the $50,000 ticket that Mitchell mentioned is probably more of a conservative estimate. But that doesn't mean that there's only negativity surrounding the Spaceport. Spaceport America, and and I I am a big uh, supporter of Spaceport America. It's been in the works for over 20 years. Um, I understand that um, a ticket into space is uh, $250,000. So not very cheap. So, so it's, it's not really cheap. It's not something that you can fly every day, you know. But eventually... Um, it will happen. Um, you know, it, it seems to be getting closer and closer every day. Uh, you know, they've got a, the facility, the building, uh, the people. I mean, I do know that um, periodically they do have launches, which was people will be working on uh, like little missiles and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and they'll send them um, with payloads into, into space. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and a lot of people will go out and watch. And, and I, I've been out several times to, to watch the little missiles go into space, and it's very exciting. Yeah. Mayor Whitehead is optimistic that the spaceport will be truly up and running within three years. And there are somewhat regular launches, even deep into 2020. People like Ashton Kutcher and Demi Moore have committed to being on the first commercial flight, and the facility is constantly in use with some public viewings. If there were to be a space spectacle that could take off the way people in science fiction dreamed, Spaceport America seems like a leading candidate. In researching truth or consequences, I was, of course, struck by the amount of keynote things. But something else that struck me even more was that there were things that I would come across or hear about that were so underreported that they almost seemed fake, almost like the trope of hyperbolic fishing stories had bled onto the online realm, unchecked. The most notable of these stems from Stephen King. Yes, THE Stephen King. The same one from Maine, who went to school in Maine, owns two houses in Maine, and another in Florida, and who has zero connection to New Mexico or the American Southwest for that matter. That was until he was given the key to truth or consequences in the early 80s. The date of the transfer was fuzzy, and the two online sources that mentioned this fact were both unclear about when and why he received the key. So when I went into interviews with questions about an award-winning author from the Northeast, I knew I was walking into a realm of skepticism. The good thing was, though, that I wasn't alone in how I felt. 
Well, you know what? And it, it's going to that, and, and you're probably going to laugh at me because I'm going to say that I just recently found that out by looking, uh, looking that up because someone else had asked me that same question, and I did find that uh, yes, he does have the key, and it was given to him by by one of our mayors. Yes, you heard that correctly. The lifetime resident of TRC and the current mayor had found out about this quirky part of the town's history at roughly the same time I did. But upon further inspection, the trivia fact is remarkably true. Absolutely. So uh, the librarian here uh, in the 80s went to high school with Stephen King. And I guess, I mean, after he got like uber popular or whatever, they were still good friends. And she's like, hey, why don't you come out here and visit, you know, Truth or Consequences? So he did a book signing at our local library. And that was, you know, sort of in his heyday of, of becoming uber famous, you know. Um, and he did a book signing and uh, he signed hundreds of copies of books for everyone in the community. So, like, you know, we sell them in the bookstores here, like signed by Stephen King. <laughs> and people are like, oh, my God, that's uber rare. And it's kind of not, you know, because yeah. he came here and did this book signing for, like, everybody in town, you know. And this was crazy to me, because in a town with less than 10,000 people, you'd expect a fact like this to be one of the most prominent ones about the area. I was baffled by how, and more importantly why, this line on Truth or Consequences resume had been fully swept under the rug. But of course, you learn it's because there are other pressing things a town becomes known for. After one of his victims escaped in a steel collar and chains in 1999, David Parker raised tales of kidnapping and torturing women went national. Smaller towns are probably more affected by things like tragedy. There's this questioning about how something so sinister could happen in such a close-knit and wholesome community. The fears of danger are reserved for other, larger areas. But occasionally, these evil forces seep into small-town life as well. Here, again, is Destiny Mitchell talking about David Parker Ray, or as he came to be known, the Toy Box Killer. <laughs> oh, God. Yes, the year was 1995. I was uh, babysitting these kids in my next-door neighbor's apartment with her younger brother, who's my boyfriend at the time. She didn't come home that night. She wasn't like her. Her name was Marie Parker. She never came home. So the next morning, me and her boyfriend, or me and her brother went and called the police. You know, I told my dad, I was like, she didn't come home. We're stuck here with these two toddlers, you know. And they went out looking for her, and they found her car at Blue Water Saloon. And uh, some, they talked to the bartender. Oh, yeah, she was here last night. Oh, I don't know when she left, you know. Never heard from again. Two years later, turns up on a videotape, getting murdered on videotape. <laughs> didn't know what happened we figured that you know his sister had just gone out partying and you know was got on meth and was going to come home in a few days you know well she never came home and it wasn't until it was 97 okay, 1997 I think is when they finally busted him um my mom actually lived at Elephant Butte Lake uh she lived about four trailers up from him not on the same street, like a block away, mm -hmm. like four trailers in between on diagonal. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> she knew him. She knew David. I mean, everybody knew David. Uh, he worked at the uh, the Elephant Butte, the boating boating area. 
Um, everybody said, super friendly guy, nobody suspected anything. You know, my mom used to dance with him out at the Blue Waters, you know, he was a great, he was a good guy, people liked him. Um, and it wasn't until I think it was 97 when they found the girl running down the street in the, the dog collar, the chains or whatever, naked, that they finally busted him, you know? It wasn't 1997, but rather 1999, when Cynthia Vigil broke out of David Parker Ray's trailer in Elephant Butte after being held captive for three days. Ray typically impersonated a police officer and falsely arrested prostitutes before bringing them home, immobilizing them, sexually torturing them, and sometimes raping them. To mentally torture the women when he was away, Ray would play a recording of his voice from 1993 that sought to prepare the women for what he was going to do to them when he returned. In 2001, Ray was sentenced to 224 years in prison. He was sent to a correctional facility in Hobbs, New Mexico, but before he could be interrogated, he died of a heart attack. Cindy Hendy, Ray's accomplice, testified against him and received a sentence of 36 years for her involvement. But 17 years into her sentence, she was scheduled for parole, and two years later, Hendy was released. Elephant Butte and Williamsburg are these two external communities from Truth or Consequences but their histories and their stories are all interconnected. And based on my conversations with Destiny Mitchell, they wouldn't have existed without TRC. But in the wake of information about the toy box killer in the late 90s and early 2000s, some people separated TRC from the other communities in Sierra County, while others felt the onslaught of fear from what had happened in their own backyard. It kind of left a bad taste in, in everybody's mouth, you know, about... Well, it didn't really happen here. It happened over there. Mm -hmm. um, and and I think even to this day, um, periodically, I know that, of course, he is deceased now. You know, the name still comes up, the, the thoughts of what he did and, and uh, you know, how he ch treated people and how, you know, how bizarre it was at that time. Mm -hmm. You know, for around the community, I know for for a fact that a lot of people always worried about swimming at the lake, wondering if if bodies were going to float, if uh, you know, um, or if they would find different things. I I don't think that ever happened. I don't remember ever hearing anything like that ever happening. But you know, it was just always a thought. Mm -hmm. Truth or consequences has done well though at making sure that Ray doesn't steal the spotlight from a town that has so much else to offer. Everyone I spoke with told me that it isn't something that comes up frequently, nor is it treated as taboo. The citizens tend to focus their attention to the positive directions the town is headed in. Pop-up art museums, hot springs, an airport for spaceships, a local brewery, a summertime festival, and a loving community attract more attention than David Parker Ray ever could. The stories are always there, you just have to look a little bit. Thank you to Blue Dot Sessions for providing the music for this episode. Thank you to all of those who contributed during interviews and production. And special thanks to Dylan Ward as a technical contributor. Mm -hmm.